Today on Blue 58, Kenny Clark is the highest paid defensive tackle in the NFL and one of the very best players on the Packers. A very good Packers team, we should add. What makes him great? And more importantly, how do you find it? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. We've got two great listener questions that I want to spend some time on today. But first, some late-breaking Packers news today. Leroy Butler and Charles Woodson are both finalists for the Hall of Fame. Don't want to spend a ton of time on this. I have a, a, a lot of takes about the Hall of Fame in general. And we will save those for another time, probably around induction time this year. But it is good, I think, that both of these guys are getting recognized. Butler's candidacy has been ongoing. A lot of people are have invested a lot of time and effort to get him to this point. I myself have written a piece about how he should be in the Hall of Fame just because his statistical accomplishments are very unique and were even more unique in the time that he played. He was one of the key players on a very, very good Packers defense during the early uh, Ron Wolf years in Green Bay and had a very long and decorated career. Everybody knows that about him. My current Leroy Butler take, in addition to what I, I believe, that he should be in the Hall of Fame just for his uniqueness alone, that is that he would be a perfect modern defensive fit. He was a undersized nickel linebacker playing safety in an era where that really didn't happen. He was the hybrid player of a bygone era. He was something that nobody had really seen before. And he was almost too unique. Very few people really knew what to do with him. And the Packers did a really good job getting the most out of him at the time. And I think he would be the best defensive player on most teams if you put him in the NFL today. I think Leroy Butler in his prime would be the best player on the Packers defense today and probably the most important one. He could cover, he could rush the passer, he could tackle like a linebacker. Those are all very valuable skill sets for a big-ish defensive back in the modern NFL, and he was doing that in like almost the Paleolithic era of the modern NFL. Now, the way that the NFL has, is now, 30 years ago when he was at his peak, was still a far, far development down the road. I mean, when he began his career, the Shanahan coaching tree was barely a sprout. Now it's everywhere in the NFL. And anybody who's anybody is trying to run that kind of offense. He was doing modern NFL defensive things 30 years ago. The same kind of goes for Woodson, who was almost too talented again, to be properly evaluated. There's this unique trait, I think, that that great players have, that the bar is so high for them that they can almost never meet it. And so some guys just kind of stop trying. Charles Woodson was so good early in his career, but then his body started to break down a little bit. And by 2004, 2005, he was pretty much a part-time player in Oakland. But then he goes to Green Bay, kind of rejuvenates his career, and has a great, great back half of his career. Woodson, a four-time pro or an eight-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, four Pro Bowls each with Green Bay and Oakland in the early part of his career, made a ninth Pro Bowl with Oakland in his final season, made two All-Pro teams with with the Packers and Raiders each. I find it interesting that he played exactly 100 games with the Packers, 38 interceptions in those 
100 games, returned nine fumbles and, uh, excuse me, 11, 10 fumbles and interceptions for touchdowns. Got that number right eventually. And uh, just was a, a game wrecker all over the field. He is very deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. And if he doesn't make it here on his first attempt, what are we even doing here? Those are my Hall of Fame takes for now. Speaking of other very good defensive players, though, we got a very good defensive question, very good listener question from Angus. We heard from him not too long ago, and he returns with another very good question. Here is Angus, whose name still brings feeling of jealousy to me. Here's what he says. Quote, how am I, as somebody who watches all of the broadcast but little else, supposed to work out for myself if Kenny Clark is any good? To be clear, I am in no doubt that he is, in fact, an extremely good player. People I trust who are far more knowledgeable than I am remind me regularly that this is the case. But when I watch the broadcasts, what should I as a layman be looking for in a player who plays Clark's position? I guess where I'm coming from is that it's pretty easy to see if, say, a quarterback, wide receiver, edge, or cornerback is good. They get at the ball and make exciting things happen. And of course, sometimes we see Clark get to an opposing quarterback, but I also understand much of his value is what he opens up for other people. He's undeniably valuable, but hard to spot to the untrained eye, or at least this untrained eye, end quote. This is a great question, and I think we can approach it a couple different ways. We can approach it just talking about Kenny Clark, but also how to watch his position in general too, or how to formulate a position or an opinion about a position that may, like he says, not show up on the broadcast quite as often. First, we do need to acknowledge that that Angus is exactly right here. It is really hard to see what guys like Kenny Clark do well unless you're watching the All-22 film, unless you're watching the games two or three times to really track everybody who's on the field. So that's good to be aware of right off the bat. It's going to be hard just watching the broadcast to see what some people like Kenny Clark do well because that's not how broadcasts are set up to, to operate. You can see, again, like Angus points out, how good quarterbacks do on a given play, fairly obviously. If a wide receiver is catching all the passes thrown to him, you get a pretty good idea what kind of a receiver he is. Same with edge rushers and cornerbacks. So how do we figure out what Kenny Clark is doing well? If you want to figure out what he's doing, how do you do that just watching the broadcast? Three things. Here's how we can learn what Kenny Clark is good at just by watching the broadcast. First, remind yourself to take your eye off the ball. You want to follow the ball on every play because that's where the action is. And that's how broadcasts are set up to make you watch. That's the idea, right? And to be fair, this is not a broadcast problem. We're not criticizing the broadcasters here because the point of the whole operation is to move the ball into the end zone or try to stop the other guys from doing that. So if, if you're focusing on that, it's not wrong. But a lot of what makes that possible, one way or another, whether you're trying to get it into the end zone or stop the other guys from getting in, is happening away from the ball. In fact, the vast, vast majority of it. And unfortunately, even in a really, really good game, Kenny Clark and guys like him are not going to be around the ball the vast, vast majority of the time. So to figure out what he's doing well, you have to remind yourself, take your eye off the ball and focus on who you're trying to track. Secondly, watch for three major things. Resetting the line of scrimmage, penetration, 
and occupying blockers. First, resetting the line of scrimmage. This is a very like scout jargony type phrase. All they're saying here is just pushing guys back, pushing them off the line of scrimmage. Offensive linemen want to stay on the line of scrimmage or into the defensive backfield where the linebackers and defensive backs hang out. And they want to stop you from moving them backwards. If they get moved off the line, it makes it easier for the defense's guys to get into the backfield or around the offensive line and make plays. So a lot of times we hear about zone blocking, especially as it relates to the Packers. That's where basically all the linemen are moving as one unit in one direction and trying to block basically an area instead of a man. If you as a defensive lineman, if you as a guy like Kenny Clark, can disrupt that by moving guys off the line of scrimmage, it makes it so much easier for your linebackers, your fellow defensive linemen, your edge rusher to get into the backfield and make plays. And stuff like this is going to be more common on running plays. So on running plays, when you've got 97 picked out on your broadcast, watch for him to make a push moving an offensive lineman into the backfield. Secondly, penetration. This is just what it sounds like, getting through the line. This is pass rushing's primary primary goal, right? You want to get through the offensive line and get to where the quarterback is. Duh, obviously. But you can keep an eye on that, how often he's getting through the offensive line, and also look at what he does when he gets there. Is he making a sack? Obviously, that's something that you're trying to do. So does he do that? Does he accomplish that goal? Does he hit the quarterback after he's gotten rid of the ball? That also affects how quarterbacks play. Does he, if he doesn't do either of those other two things, move the quarterback off his spot? So the quarterback drops back. He wants to sit in the pocket with his his protection around him. If you're a pass rusher, if you're like Kenny Clark, if you can get him to move, chances are he's going to have a more difficult time throwing an accurate ball. He's going to have more trouble throwing on time. Moving the quarterback is often just as good as hitting or sacking him. If he's getting penetration, is he able to do those things? And if he's getting penetration at all, you should be aware of it. Finally, watch for Kenny Clark to occupy blockers. If he's not resetting the line or penetrating, ask yourself why. What happened on that play that didn't allow him to get into the backfield? It could be because he's getting blocked by the offensive lineman, and that's something you want to make a note of. Is he Guys who get blocked are not going to be big playmakers. But it could also be because he's occupying blockers. And as a nose tackle, that is often Kenny Clark's responsibility. He'll line up directly over the center and try to prevent the center from moving. Often the center is kind of a hinge for the rest of the offensive line, and they structure their blocking schemes around what he does. If he can prevent the center from moving, if he can kind of hold him in place, occupy him, he can prevent a lot of what the offense is doing from taking place. It's also possible that he could be two-gapping or trying to take up multiple blocks at the same time. So if he's occupying the center and not trying to get into the backfield and not try to push him back, he could be looking for the running back to come through on either side of the center. That's two gapping. He might also be one gapping. He might be playing to one side of the center or one side of a guard and trying to occupy the center and guard at the same time or a guard and a tackle at the same time. That is also part of his job. It's not always to get into the backfield. Sometimes it's just soaking up blockers. You don't want to be attacking the same way every single time because then you just get predictable and you become easier to block. So when you're watching those things, here's the third major thing you should do. First, take your eye off the ball. Second, look for these three things. Third, write down your observations. I would encourage you, even if you are just doing it casually, to get in the habit of watching the game 
with a notebook. I do this for podcasting, for stuff I want to write about. And I think even if I didn't do those things, I would still try to write a few things down because it has transformed the way not only I watch games, but the way I remember games as well. Looking through my notes, I can pretty much recreate entire games in my mind just from what I've written down. A first and 10 play uh, that the Packers go off tackle against Jet Motion. Uh, A third and three where the Packers are in deep coverage for some reason and Kamal Martin shoots a gap and misses a tackle. Writing down... Things like down and distance and what happened as briefly as possible will allow you to do that. Then take note of anything that stands out. You can be as detailed or as basic as you like, but getting in that habit is going to help you remember these things better. And if you're trying to watch one player specifically do those things that you're looking for, it's going to help you form an even more informed opinion about that guy. But beyond Kenny Clark and how he plays on Sunday... What else can we do to learn about the defensive line? I think we can focus on two areas. First, athleticism. Second, stats. Athleticism is obvious. This is professional sports and professional athletes. You're trying to get the best ones you can. Good athletes, even if they're six foot three and 330 pounds or whatever, are still going to win more often than not on the defensive line. There are different kinds of athletes than elsewhere on the football field, but they are still athletes. And looking at relative athletic scores is a good place to start because it gives you a single number that kind of encompasses everything that a guy does. We've mentioned this before on the podcast. Just search relative athletic scores in your web browser of choice, and you will be able to find information about this. The site is a little bit counterintuitive. That is a known complaint. The guy who runs that, Ken Lee Platt, Uh, Detroit Lions blogger is aware of that and he does his very best. Spend some time with it. You'll figure out how to use the tool. It gets a lot easier. Second thing, stats. Raw stats like sacks and tackles are a good starting point, but you're going to want a little bit more than that. And I think if you're looking for a one-stop shop, Sports Information Solutions is a great place to start. They have advanced stat type stuff that's still pretty intuitive, like pressure rate. That's a really good one to keep an eyeball on because it's going to tell you how often a guy is getting pressures on his pass rushes on a per-snap basis. So if a guy gets four pressures in 10 pass rushes, he has a pressure rate of 40%. Nobody has one that high. That's ridiculous, but it's just an example. Keeping an eye on stuff like that is going to help you contextualize what a guy is doing. What's better, a guy who gets two sacks in five pass rushes or a guy who gets two sacks in 50? Obviously, it's the guy who's getting them more frequently, but then you can look a little bit further and figure out why that might be. So let's look at a couple guys on the Packers and see if this information can help us ballpark why guys might be getting certain opportunities and what they're doing with them. Let's take a look at Kenny Clark. So Kenny Clark is a very good athlete. He has a relative athletic score of 7.54 out of 10. That is just a shade under elite. In this scoring system, eight or above is considered an elite athlete. So he's just a shade under elite. The raw stats are not super great this year. Two sacks, three tackles for a loss. It doesn't look great, but we know that raw stats aren't everything. Look at his advanced numbers. He's getting pressure on 6.8% of his pass rush. That pass rushes, that's a little bit low compared to last year, but it's pretty good among true defensive tackles. Combine this knowledge with your notes, 
and see how it stacks up. So what do we see from Kenny Clark? Well, we see that he's a good athlete, and we see that he affects games with that athleticism. He can get into the backfield very quickly. He's big enough and strong enough to either two-gap or take on multiple blockers, and he's quick enough and smart enough to recognize and diagnose screen passes, something that we see pretty often, and blow them up either by getting into a passing lane or chasing down a running back in the flat. That's a pretty good combination of advanced stats, athleticism, and raw stats. If you're taking notes on what he's doing on a given Sunday, you'd probably be able to put all of that together. And this is all stuff that you can do from your couch. You don't need to do all 22 film or have some sort of advanced scouting capability here just by watching what a guy does and compare it with some of this off-field stuff, some stuff that everybody has access to for free, you can put together a pretty good scouting profile for a guy. Let's do another one. We can compare here and see if we can draw any conclusions. Here's another defensive lineman on the Packers, Montravius Adams. Very similar to Kenny Clark in a couple of ways. First, athleticism. Relative athletic score, 7.87. Actually better than Kenny Clark, And again, just a shade under elite. So you can see, first and foremost, why the Packers might be interested in spending a third-round pick on this guy and why they might be interested in keeping him around. The raw stats, like Kenny Clark this year, are not super great either. No sacks, two tackles for loss. And of course, he's been out for a while, but even in the games that he played, that's all that he was able to produce. That doesn't look pretty great. But do the advanced stats tell us a different story? Not necessarily in this case. He's got a pressure rate of 3.4%. So he's creating pressures about half as often as Kenny Clark, who is still not doing them quite as often as he was a year ago. This starts to tell us a few things. First, Montrevious Adams is a good athlete, but he's not super productive. And it's not like he's creating some opportunities or affecting games in ways that we aren't seeing. He's really just not doing a whole lot with that athleticism. Two very different players, two similar stats, but a different conclusion based on the whole picture. That's a little bit about how you can take a look at a guy like Kenny Clark and get an impression about what he does. Second listener question I'd like to take a look at today comes from Ahmad. Ahmad writes, I'm not great with advanced stats, and sometimes I'm a little lost when you're discussing stats. Any chance this offseason you could do a lesson on the stats you track, what they mean, and how they may or may not give insight into the Packers and their players? Good question. That's really good feedback, actually, and something I'm continually a little bit worried about because I don't want anybody to get lost when we're talking about stats, and stats are going to be a big part of the modern NFL conversation. Advanced stats aren't going away. Analytics aren't going away. We might as well figure out how we can use them and how we can use them well. So let's actually not wait for the offseason. Let's take a look at a few advanced stats right now, starting with ones that we track here at the Power Sweep, and then Either next time or sometime next week, we'll take a look at some advanced stats from around the league. As we're waiting to figure out who the Packers might be playing, this is a good time to to do a little bit of learning on our end. So the first stat that we track is adjusted net yards per attempt for Aaron Rodgers. So Aaron Rodgers has been the Packers quarterback for quite some time now, and he's uh, had some up years and he's had some down years. We track adjusted net yards per attempt because they're the single best indicator of how a quarterback is playing in one number that I found. You can have your passer rating, you can have your QBR, you can have your pro football focus grades. All of those have their flaws. If you're just looking for one number, also flawed in its own ways, I should add, this one is about as good as it's going to get. And we track it over time to see how things can fluctuate. 
at thepowersweep.com, we, we track this one in, in various chunks. We track it on a game-by-game basis. We track it in rolling four-game increments. We track it in rolling eight-game increments. And we track it in rolling 16-game instru- increments. What does that show us? Well, right now, over his last 16 games, Aaron Rodgers has an adjusted net yards per attempt of 8.88. That is the highest it's been at any point since late 2016, even late 2014. He is getting back to an MVP level. On a more granular scale, he's also been trending up over the last eight games. But if you go back to late last year, he was also trending down. You could see towards the end of last season, Aaron Rodgers actually started to tail off quite a bit. And there are varying opinions about what Aaron Rodgers did last year and how good it actually was. Uh, but the the stats really bore out that he tailed off towards the end of the year, however good he may have started. And I think that kind of showed up in the playoffs, especially against the San Francisco 49ers, when they really needed Aaron Rodgers to play at a high level. He did not have a particularly good game against the 49ers. So that's not so much an advanced stat as a as a kind of a super box score stat that we just track on a, a granular level. And that's kind of what all of these plays are going to be. We don't do anything that involves advanced kind of math or anything like that. But we do track plays and, and things that are kind of like box score plus. Uh, you, you have a little bit more in the box score. Um, or you, you get this information from the box score and then you kind of compile it in an interesting or, or unique way. Another good example of that, or a good example of that kind of stat, is explosive plays. So there's a lot of there's been a lot of talk and and an increasing number or amount of talk around the NFL about generating explosive plays. Explosive plays are sometimes referred to as chunk plays, and this was something that Matt Lafleur said was a priority when he was hired in Green Bay and really throughout his time with with Tennessee. And if you look back at his interviews that he uh, conducted with the with the Falcons, with the Rams. Basically, at any point in his career, he wants to talk about chunk plays. Basically, it's exactly what it sounds like, getting big chunks of yardage. Other people call them explosive plays. The actual theory of explosive plays can be traced to a Packers researcher named Mike Ayers in the early 2000s. He was a member of the Packers staff from 2001 to 2014, did a deep dive in analytics, and found that drives featuring a run of at least 12 yards or a pass of at least 16 yards were more than more likely than other drives to result in points. The reason should be pretty obvious. You're moving the ball quickly and in large chunks down the field, you're going to find your way to the end zone pretty quickly. So let's keep track of how often the Packers are producing explosive plays and who's producing the most of them. Despite missing multiple games this year, Devontae Adams finished the season with a season or a team leading, excuse me, 25 explosive plays. That is the third highest total of his career. He had more in 2018 and more in 2016, but he had the most on the team. Aaron Jones saw his number of explosive plays dip a little bit. He's down to 22 this year. That's partly because he produced fewer explosive plays through the air. Other notable contributors there, Marquez Valdez-Scantling had 13 explosive plays. That is a career high for him. He had double-digit explosive plays in 2018, his rookie season, dipped to, to nine in 2019 while battling some injuries and decreased playing time down the stretch, but has played better this year and is producing more explosive plays. 
also of note, Robert Tanyan has 12, Tanyan, excuse me, Robert Tanyan, put another dollar in the jar, I guess. Robert Tanyan has 12 explosive plays this year. And Jamal Williams has 10. So Adams, Jones, MVS, Tanyan, Jamal Williams, rounding out the top five. Packers got fewer explosive plays this year from Alan Lazard, who is kind of slowed down by injury. But overall, the Packers had a very good year in terms of explosive plays. In the second year of the Matt LaFleur system, they produced four more explosive plays than they did in their first year. 111 this year as a team versus 107 in 2019. However, they are also down from the peak McCarthy years. They produced 116 explosive plays in McCarthy's final year, and then 118 in 2016 and 15, and 133 way back in 2014. A lot of that can be attributed to uh, to um, Jordy Nelson at the peak of his powers that year, but also, somewhat surprisingly, Randall Cobb, who has the record for explosive plays in a single season. He had 31 in 2014, the earliest year that we tracked that play. I think these are are generally a good thing to be aware of. They're not a be-all, end-all sort of thing, uh, but they're, they're a good thing to keep in the back of your mind. And you can really see kind of the ups and downs of the Packers' offense as you look at the, the per-game totals of explosive plays. Pass rush stuff. On the defensive side of the ball, things get a little bit more clear. You're either producing or you're not. And the Packers' wins and losses are pretty directly tied to a couple of these stats that, that we track. Pass rushing stuff is pretty interesting. We we track two things related to pass rush. First, production ratio, and then pressure percentage. Production ratio is pretty simple. You take the sacks and tackles for loss that a guy produces, divide them by the amount of games he plays, and you get his production ratio. This year, Zedaria Smith had a production ratio of 1.53. He had 12 and a half sacks and a few tackles for loss. I don't know the number off the top of my head. It's not really important. And ends up with a production ratio of 1.53. That's actually a little bit down from last year where he had a production ratio of 1.91. But elsewhere in the Packers, pretty much everybody else dropped as well. Preston Smith went down. Kenny Clark went down. Dean Lowry went up but still has a pretty small figure. Uh, Rashawn Gary jumped from about 0.25 to 0.67. The catch here is that elite rushers, not even elite rushers, very good rushers, hang around about one. You want either one tackle for loss or sack per game that you play. And right now the Packers only have one guy who's producing at or above that level, and it's Zedaria Smith. However, Both Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary have started to increase their ratios as the season has gone on, as has Kenny Clark. And for further evidence of that, we can look to our other stat, uh, pressure percentage. How often is a guy pressuring a quarterback on his pass rush? Again, Zedaria Smith is down from where he was last year. He was over 16% last year, which is just an absurd number, but he's down to 10.4% this year. Preston Smith has also seen a big drop. He was just over 14% last year. He's down to 7.1%. Rashawn Gary has jumped in a big way. He was at a little over 8% last year to over 10% this year. The important thing here, though, is that these numbers have been trending upward for just about everybody as the season has gone on. 
Preston Smith was hanging around down in the ones for most of the season, but he's getting pressure more and more consistently as the season has gone on. Same goes for Kenny Clark, who was down around zero earlier this season, especially when he was battling injury, and now he's getting uh, pressures on 6.8% of his rushes, as we noted earlier. These things are hugely important, and if you want a, a ballpark figure for how the Packers pass rush is performing, looking at these individual numbers is a good way to find it. Finally, the ball hawk index. This one is a favorite of mine because you can really find data on it going back as far as you care to. Ball hawks are pretty simple. They are plays on the ball. What do we count as plays on the ball? Sacks, passage defensed, interceptions, and forced fumbles. We don't care so much about fumbles recovered because those are kind of voodoo anyway. Depending on how the ball bounces, you might get jobbed out of a, a fumble recover, recovery anyway, so don't really worry about it. We want guys who are making plays on the ball. And the Packers have really improved as they've gone on this season making plays on the ball. They started out very slowly. They were way behind their pace from last year, but as the season has gone on, they've started to make plays more and more consistently on the ball. And we made note of this, especially as it pertains to Darnell Savage down the stretch. At one point this back half of the season, he had made a ball hawk, or he had produced a ball hawk in eight consecutive games. But he is not alone in increasing his production. Jair Alexander has also made more plays on the ball as the season has gone on. He has at least one ball hawk in each of the last four games for the Packers, five games for the Packers, weeks 13 through 17, He's made one every week. He's collected one every week. And dating back to week 11, he has 11 in those nine games, eight games, whatever it's been. He has continued to make more and more plays on the ball as the season has gone on, despite not being consistently targeted in pass coverage. That has been a big reason the Packers have continued to get better on defense. Sure, their level of competition has it always been great here in the back half of the of their schedule. But they've also done a much better job of forcing the issue. By making plays on the ball, you can affect what the opposing defense is doing. Overall this season, the Packers do have fewer ball hawks than last year. Last season, they had 144. This year, they have 132. But since week 10, they've produced 89 plays on the ball, really coming together down the stretch here. So you start taking those stats together, as we talked about kind of with Kenny Clark, look at multiple data points together, then draw a conclusion. What we see from the Packers here is more plays on the ball, more consistent pass rush, and an improved defense as a result. Anything that you can find that kind of correlates to success like that is worth tracking consistently, and that's why we track these numbers. They're not the be-all, end-all when it comes to stats. There are many more that we can talk about, but this is a good start. And the best part is they are all tracked and the data available for free for you at thepowersweep.com. Just go to that website, go to our website, look at the stats, drop down menu. You can look at all sorts of interesting stuff there. We've also got all of our Packers polling information there and a fun database uh, of Packers Wonderlick test scores, which is a thing of dubious quality, but a lot of people in the media love it. So you might as well track all that information in one place. That's all available for you as you try to become a smarter Packers fan. That's all I've got for you in this episode. Do appreciate listening in. If this show was interesting to you and you think somebody else would benefit from hearing it, 
do me a favor and share it because that's how we're going to continue to grow this conversation around the Packers and ultimately help everybody continue to become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.